Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi, friend. This week on the podcast, I share an interview I did with Mary Kearns. Uh, Mary Kearns is a West Virginian native who loves the green woods. She loves to be surrounded by nature, and she also spends a lot of time on Anna Maria Island in Florida on the Gulf Coast. Creative work is her deep bridge between the sacred and daily life, and it she believes it helps us create more balance for ourselves. In our conversation, we talked a lot about uh, Mary's current project, which is called The Flowers Are Speaking. Um, she has created a beautiful oracle deck that's currently sold out. She's working on a book by the same name, and she has a lovely Substack um, site with lots of beautiful writing on flowers. She studied art in college, but life intervened, and it was 30 years before her creative egg cracked open again, first with layered paperwork and process painting, and now with writing. Um, I think you'll enjoy Mary's unique and beautiful perspective on flowers. Um, It'll make your day more colorful, and it'll make you just look a little differently at um, whatever is growing outside your door. I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Here we go. Hi there, friend, and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm grateful that you're here. I am your host, Dr. Aveen Banish, and I'm thrilled today to have on um, as my guest, Mary Kearns. Mary is one of those, I love how the universe works and how social media works, and somehow I found my way to connect with Mary Kearns, um, and I was delighted by her, her posts, her writing, her insight, and so I asked her to be on the show. And so, Mary, um, thanks for being here. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Veen. I'm just honored that you were drawn enough to my writing and my work to actually reach out to me for this podcast. And I'm thrilled to be here. So um, Mary, uh, in her past, has been a visual artist. These days, she's writing. And what she's writing about really is beautiful. and, And that's what grabbed me. And she had created an oracle deck called The Flowers Are Speaking, which sold out. And she's now writing a book by the same name. And Mary, I just loved the way, well, flowers I love in general. Flowers are beautiful, and I've always been drawn to different flowers. But the way that you, the insight that you have about flowers and their connection to human emotion and to our journey on earth, I just found really unique. Can you talk a little bit about how you got, how you found your connection with flowers? Oh, that's a good question, Avine. I and I'm exploring that as I'm writing this book in many different ways. Um, and what I'm finding is that they've been with me all my life. But, but the short answer to your question is how I really started um, hearing their voices and started writing about them. Um, came I I took. I mean, I've been drawn to nature all my life. So, but that's, you know, the general story that a lot of people could tell, but I I took a class from Asia Suler in 2019 
uh, called intuitive plant medicine. I had really started feeling that there was so much more messages from plants and I was so drawn to them, but I couldn't, couldn't get across this divide of how to connect with them. And so she got me started um, and gave me some more permission to step into a space where I could hear messages from the flowers and messages started coming through. I would sit down to journal with them, get into a meditative space with them and sit down and journal and these messages would come through. And at first I thought, oh, I can't tell anybody about this. They'll think I'm crazy. (laughs) And, you know, that's really, I think my work is if I can step into this coming from the background that I had, which was just very normal, you know, anybody can do this. And this is what I, I hope for the world, that people start to realize that the plants are so much more sentient than we have been taught, than our culture gives credit for. And to be able to open up to what they have to teach us in all the different subtle ways that don't have to be like a voice speaking in your ear or feel like you've heard something from a divine being. It it can be so much simpler than that. And that's what I want to bring to people. Um, not sure I fully answered your question. <laughs> oh, I think you did. You know, I flowers to me have always been so well, they're they're just glorious, right? Their their beauty, their color, but also their um their briefness, right? So they they bloom and come and then they go. And um, and so I think there's a lot to be taught in understanding that cycle and also um understanding and loving a flower through a cycle. Yes. You know, cause I can bring roses. I love roses. They're my favorite flower. They remind me of my grandmother's garden in Ireland growing up. I have this really like core memory. When I think of my grandmother's hands, I think of her tending her roses. Um, and so it's hard for me to separate the rose from my grandmother's hand. It's really interesting, but, but there's this sense when you bring home or you're given these beautiful flowers that you love them at their peak beauty. And then it's can be a complicated relationship as they begin to die. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the sunflower in particular is maybe the first flower I really, really dove into that with um, because, you know, sunflowers, we always see their big shining yellow faces and that's really all that were usually ever shown. And yet when I grow them in my garden, I loved every aspect of them, you know, when it first opening and of course when they're big and tall and beautiful and catching the sun and, and turning to them. But then they start to um, you know, when they start to die and their heads bend over and they they start to bow to the ground and and then they decay and they go into the ground and that whole process. And it's it's a mirror for me of the cycles of our life of, you know, when we're maidens, when we're mothers, when we're crones, when we're elders. And, you know, it's uh, so appreciating the elder cycles and the sunflower especially uh, was so vivid for me and um, is part of my my writing. Um, and it's interesting also that you asked about that, about the short lifespans of the flowers. I'm, I'm really working with that this week. Um, there's a saying that Our Lady of Woodstock says that um, it's something along the lines of what looks like um, a bloom on this side of the veil is, you know, what what's a dead body on this side of the veil is a bloom on the other side of the veil, something along those lines. And and so it just gives that um, 
that feeling, that that deep impression of how life, you know, what what's dead and what's alive. I mean, is it if it if it's alive on the other side of the veil and it's dead here and then it's dead there and it's alive here and there's so much that we can learn from that about getting past our fear of death and our fears of the dark and our fears of being in the ground and um, embracing all of that into just another part of our life and what generates new life. Yes. And, and if we're paying attention you know, not just flowers, but we're we're heading into fall here in the northern hemisphere. And these cycles are, you know, they're kind of illuminating and mirroring that for us every year. And it's like just sort of, I feel sometimes like they're patiently waiting for us to notice and to um and to learn from them. Do you feel that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, so patient. Millions of years of patience. <laughs> You know, I mean, the flowers have been doing this, this cycle of life every single season for 100 to 150 million years. I mean, and that's still a drop in the bucket for the age of the whole planet, of course. But but compared to us, you know, that 100 to 150 million years, it, it we're the kids, the new kids on the block. You know, they're the elders. They've got so much to teach us about. The long story of our soul, as as Perdita Finn says, um, about the comings and goings and all the different lifetimes and how to how to be through all the different changes that come. I mean, I think I think they've got a lot of wisdom to guide us forward as these fast-paced changes our whole planet is going through right now. They've seen, the flowers have seen all plants, but the flowers for me have seen so much um, in terms of climate change, maybe never one that's happened this fast, but they've been through way more changes than we have. They know a lot more about how to survive, how to move, how to wait, how to be patient, how to um, step up to an opportunity of, for instance, when the asteroid hit the planet 66 million years ago in the Gulf of Mexico, and that was the last great extinction, of course, and the dinosaurs disappeared, but opened up a lot of new real estate for the flowers. And they just exploded after that. Um, they'd been around before that, but they exploded after that. It gave them a huge opportunity. And... Um, they just exploded into taking advantage of that. And so what can they teach us about how to be open to change and how to look at different ways of being in the world that we can't even really understand with our focus on logic and linear thinking um, in our culture. And so I'm trying to explore that and it's, it's hard because our language and our thought process and everything we do is so linear. And I wonder if you can speak to, um, because I love how you describe flowers. You describe them with more tenacity and strength. I think sometimes when we think about flowers, we think about something very delicate and fragile. Um, and that might even be, that might even expand to say like the feminine versus the masculine. Um, 
But can you speak about a little bit more about the strength of some of these flowers? Oh, well, sure. Um, and different ones, of course, has more strength than others, I think. And, and they all have different stories. Uh, they all have, you know, they're all different expressions uh, of our Earth's energy. Um, but if you think about the, like, say, there's one plant in my flower deck called ironweed. <laughs> so first, there's the name. And um, they've got such strong roots. And they're uh, sometimes like, and they grow a lot in Appalachia, where I'm from. And so there's this kind of tenacity of, of Appalachian women that uh, <laughs> I think there's even a book that called Ironweed that's about Appalachian women. Anyway, I forget the name of it exactly. But, um, but I think it starts with the roots, what you're talking about. The roots go deep and they go deep into the earth and they, they draw up the strength from that dirt. And from that earth, that's even so much more ancient than they are. And it feeds them. And and it doesn't feed them in a masculine way. It's it's of the strength of the womb, the feminine, that knows how to bring new life. I mean, that's what it really all comes down to. It's how to bring new life up from the dirt. And this is what the flowers do. Every year, every spring, every summer, every fall, and then go back into the dirt in the winter and germinate new seeds, you know. And sometimes those seeds don't sprout every spring. Sometimes they know they need to wait. It's not the right time to bloom this year. Um, they're waiting for the right conditions. Um, and the wildflowers that aren't domesticated have so much more of this wisdom because they they haven't been bred to all sprout at the same time and to produce the same kind of flower and and make the seeds drop out just in the right way or the flowers all open at the right time. And, you know, if you're talking about if you're making you know, domesticated flowers for um, beauty, you know, for flower shops or if they're making food, they're all flowering plants, you know. So these domesticated plants lost a lot of their wisdom in exchange for being taken care of. But the wildflowers, ah, they are wild. So they make their seeds in so many different ways just to, you know, hedge their bets. Like, we don't know what's coming down the pike. And so we're going to have some seeds that germinate right away and some seeds that wait a few months and some seeds that wait a few years. And we're going to, you know, and then <clears throat> the other, I think the other kind of tenacity is that we don't really think about so much is the way they communicate. Um, this is what's really kind of blown my mind in my research is um, thinking about how flowers communicate and their sentience. I mean, Flowers put out more chemicals than like thousands of chemicals. They think smells, okay? So each smell is a chemical or, you know, but they put out thousands. And this is how they communicate. This is how they draw other insects to them or how they get communication from other plants about what dangers or what where they need to grow or, you know, and, and they can sense, they can sense things around them. They're proving in science now. You know, that a plant 
that they can hear. Like the flower is literally their ears. They can hear the bee coming. When the bee comes, they put out more nectar because they can hear it. And they can they may not see like that. I, I have short hair and you have long hair, but they can sense a person is near them. And they can sense that if you paint your building from white and change it to purple, I mean, they can, it's amazing what they can sense. And I, I think when we think about, you know, we can hardly smell at all as human beings compared mm -hmm. to animals and plants. And if, if they can send out thousands of chemicals, how much thousands and thousands of pieces of information are they getting in ways that we can't even comprehend? And um, they probably have so much more sense of what's happening around them and what they need to do to survive. That's the kind of tenacity, I think, that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. What flower is currently in your awareness or what is kind of connecting with you right now? Ah. Well, I'm in Florida. So actually in my physical world, it's, it's, I feel disconnected from my West Virginia flowers that I just left last week. So it's kind of odd that, that you ask that. Um, there are flowers here, but they're just also different and they're not the ones I've grown up with. And it's summer and there's not many flowers in the summer because it's too hot. So that aside, in my writing, in my heart right now, I've been doing, um, um, I'm working on my big chapter about Magnolia. And so she's been really sitting with me for the past couple of weeks, even more deeply than she has for the past several years. And um, Magnolia is, at once they, one time they thought it was the oldest flower, um, but it's not. They found older flowers now, but it's still, the oldest flower that we would still recognize today. And it was such a big flower, even back then, even mm -hmm. 100, 150 million years ago, more. And so um, it's like the poster child for the ancient, the ancient crone of flowers. And it's a tree flower, you know, I mean, it's just, so it just feels even bigger and stronger. And, um, and they started evolving before there were even bees. So bees were not their pollinators. So they learned how, how to, to um, make a collaboration with the beetles instead of the bees. Which, wow. yeah, and the beetles are, you know, they're like the bull in a china shop. They chomp everything in their path. <laughs> and the magnolias figured out how to work with them. And it's just like this love story, just uh, a primal love story between the beetles and the magnolia flowers. And um, yeah, <laughs> I've got um, one place where I wrote in the book about, you know how, you know, the movie, The Princess Bride, mm -hmm. where it says, you know, there was there were five kisses in the world that were the most special. I can't quote it quite off the top of my head. And he, so then talks about, and the, you know, the, the best one was the princess. Bride. What were the other five special kisses? So I'm, I'm thinking it's the kiss between the beetle and the magnolias right in there with those top five <laughs> kisses. I mean, because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the flowers. And that's literally true. They, and I mean, from a science perspective, if the flowers hadn't been 
it, it's the flowers that started making the food that generated enough food so that mammals and primates could have enough energy, some food to develop the bigger brains and and literally. So it's the flowers taught us to reach out to them. And that's why we have hands and I'm grasping here at the screen and I, it's just an audio recording, but anyway. <laughs> But it's a love story. You know, that's just the science explanation. I feel deeply in my heart that the flowers dreamed us into being and loved us into being, that they they wanted us here and they drew us out into the, you know, out of the whatever, out of the ether and into being. And it's a love story that we used to. We used to know um, when we were, um, you know, before we, you know, what, what maybe 20,000 years ago or more, you know, or maybe even only 10,000 years ago or more, we really deeply knew this incredibly deep reverence for the flowers, for the plants and understood that they fed us, that they, they cared for us, that they loved us and were giving themselves to us. And we took care of them in return, and it was much more reciprocal and a deep love story. And so I feel that we need to get that back. That's such a comforting view that the flowers called us into being. And, um, you know, that is beauty called us into being then, because I think that's so much what the flowers represent. Right. I wonder then, because then I feel a heaviness in my heart as you talk, as, you know, we read about the bee population and what's happening environmentally on the earth. And so kind of now what? Can you speak to that? Well, of course, I don't have any answers, but I'm hoping the flowers do. And I think we have to watch them as they evolve and they change with the way the planet changes. And we have to take their lead and we have to step outside of our linear thinking. Most of all, I think we have to step outside of, we can fix this. Um, I, the, the thinking that, oh, okay, we're so smart. We can figure this out and we can fix this. Uh, even if we do acknowledge that we're the ones that created it, it and screwed it up. I, it's the same old, you know, the old story of you, you just can't fix something by doing the same old thing over and over again. I, so I think that's why it's so important to try to step into this different way of seeing the world in a, in a collaborative way, in a stepping back into a devotion, into a place where we can really honor the other types of intelligence in the world and communicate with them and hear them. And perhaps they can show us how to step through the incredible difficulties that are coming. It won't be easy. I'm reminded, Mary, you know, I did a podcast with Perdita Finn and her daughter, Sophie Strand. And at the, I think it was Perdita that mentioned that the world right now needs kind of champions of you know, there's someone born on the planet who's going to be a champion. I think she was talking about um, badgers or some kind of lowly animal. Um, yeah. And you're you're emerging to me as this champion of flowers, right? So that that we we come in and if we listen and if we align, that each of us are likely aligned 
and connected to something on the earth that it may be the moment to sort of step up and honor and protect. And and it can be so unique. It is so unique to each of us. Um, Someone listening who might love flowers and really resonate with what you're saying, how can we begin to do this? Um, How can we begin to, you know, be more reverent to the flower world? How would we begin? First of all, walk out your door and look at a flower and look at them a little longer than you did the day before and um, ask them, ask them. I think asking is so key and it's been a hard thing in my life. I grew up incredibly independent, take care of yourself and don't ask anybody for help. <laughs> Bought us some work ethic. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's been an incredibly difficult thing for me that it's changed my life to learn to ask. And I, I still forget so often. And so asking the flowers, you know, what do you have to teach me? Or, you know, especially if you've got a question, something's bothering you in your life, you know, you can go talk to your therapist, spiritual director or somebody, but go ask the flowers too, you know, let them be a mirror, let them, let them be a mirror for your emotions. I, I do, I'm, well, I've, I've done, I, I'm starting a workshop, but I don't have it like published and going yet. And this is, this is what I do is help people um, listen to the flowers in their own way and learn that they can hear these messages. Anybody can, you know, and just like, um, you know, working with an Oracle deck in a way, you know, but actually working with the flowers directly. And instead of going to my Oracle deck where you hear what the flowers said to me, you know, what they say to you is equally valid and not necessarily the same and usually isn't the same. And so learning to trust our own intuition uh, is what I'm really saying Um, in all the myriad of ways that that can be done. But it's critical. We'll never be able to uh, bridge this gap. Um, The only way we can ultimately communicate with these beings that are so different from us is with our intuition. There's something we can't explain, um, like, you know, when a feeling, emotion, a memory pops into your head. It's an intuitive thing. And who's to say it's not being sent to you directly from the flower? I think it is often, or the tree, or the animal, or the bird, or the whatever you're working with. You know, this is how the communication works, I think, in these realms. Beautiful. Um, I would love to ask you, I mentioned about my grandmother and roses. So roses for me are very, um, I love to have them in my house just because it feels like they shift the energy, um, not only from their color and their beauty, but just having them in the house. And, and I love, um, I love keeping them until they're dried petals. Like I like to honor the whole process, even though if I'm being honest, I like the fresh, beautiful, stunning rose. (laughs) Um, but I'm working on kind of honoring the entire cycle of it. Um, can you speak to the rose and, and messages from a rose? Yeah. So rose is the central flower in my book. <laughs> oh, my really? And it starts with me in my grandmother's rose garden when I was a little girl. <laughs> so wow, <laughs> a lot about, about the rose and, um, 
I've written the major piece of it, but I haven't come back and written it into the book with my own personal stories yet. So there's still a lot, even more work that I know the Rose is going to do with me. But um, that said, I think the Rose is so special to us human beings. I think the Rose perhaps is the flower that loved us the most and has worked with us the longest and been most deeply in intertwined with us. And to the point where, you know, now we grow them in factory greenhouses and abuse them and treat them like slaves and send them all over the world in 747s. And it's just horrifying, but there's still something there in spite of all that, you know, even that rose from that grocery store bin <laughs> that's been through that slave camp, as I call it, still has something special for us. They still hold a little bit of their original wildness. But uh, of course, you know, what I love most is a wild rose bush. Um, the original five petal roses that, and that will still grow so big and wild and only bloom basically once a year instead of all season and all the beautiful things we've done with our, our hybrid roses. It's, it's a, I think the roses are so willing to be intertwined in our lives that you know, they stepped up and allowed themselves to be domesticated. A lot of plants don't. They're like, you're not domesticating me. No way, no how. <laughs> but the roses were very willing and uh, have stepped up and have worked with us and love us so much more deeply. And, and so I think that's why our, our senses are so tuned in to their smell uh, more than any other flower. They've been with us from the very beginning and they represent so much in all of our mythology. They've, they've been through us they've been with us so deeply so closely that that's why they've always been wrapped up in our mythology with all those especially all the way back to the very first goddess cultures and even before i'm sure you know they're finding uh graves from i don't know it's twenty thousand or forty thousand years ago that's have that are lined with flowers and you know they're not always roses depends on where they are but sometimes they're roses and um so the flowers have been part of our practices, you know, ever since we started honoring, realizing that we were, I don't know, being conscious maybe ever even since we started being conscious of ourselves as being um, separate from the animal world, you know, since, ever since we left the garden, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and even as you say that, just, you know, this idea of the garden being at least in in Christian um, tradition, right? The, that we had everything and it was provided in the garden. Yeah, it was, you know, it yeah. was a time when we didn't need any clothes or anything. It was all right there, just like all the animals that still live all around us. That's what they do. They live in the garden for the most part, unless we've domesticated them. Yeah. And so is your hope or grand idea that like the flowers can lead us back to that garden? You know, I don't, I don't know. You, know, you can't go back. I mean, you know, you and I can't go back to living without civilization today. We're, we're addicted to it. It just is what it is. You know, I mean, I'd like to say, oh, I could go live in the woods all by myself. No. <laughs> um, and by myself, that's interesting. I said that because back then they didn't, they always lived you know, in a community, you know, nobody lived by themselves. Just, yeah. But um, I, I don't know. 
I don't know. Yeah, but there needs, I do, I can say that I know that it needs to be more, it needs to be collaboration with the natural world. It needs to be a better balance. It, there has to be a reverence, a balance. It just doesn't make any sense otherwise. Yeah. And I love the internet. It lets us talk and have this call. I mean, you know, it, just, it all, we're here right now and we don't know where this will lead us and if it's part of what's coming next or if it's the cause of what's coming next or if it's going to generate what's coming next or, you know, in a good way, in a bad way, we don't know. But I just, I do know that we need to be in communication with the flowers for it to have a better outcome and all the plants and all the animals, but the flowers. <laughs> for you, especially the flowers. Yes. Yeah. Um, and does it shift for you during the course of the year? I mean, you know, right now you're in Florida, there's less of a winter there, but when you're in West Virginia, the seasons are, are for real, um, are more, not for real, but they're more obvious. Um, and so do you, when you're attuned to the flowers, are you, do you feel as if you're more attuned to this natural cycle of the year? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling them, you know, doing the things they do, blooming and germinating, blooming, coming to harvest, dying, going back into the earth, being a seed, being in a womb, doing it again, over and over and over and over again. I mean, when you think about the millions of years, like they do this over and over and over every year. It's just, and we can see it every year. Uh, trees do it every year too, in the sense that they make seeds every year, but they live a lot longer and a lot. Yeah. Anyway, um, the seasons. And it's also interesting. I, when I started working with flowers, I really needed to be physically with them. But I think now that I've sat with them so much that I can call them to me anytime from wherever I am. Mm -hmm. um, and so that essence of the flower, it doesn't really matter if it's winter or if I'm in Florida or, um, and, but I think I might think of them more in their seed form in the winter if I'm calling them to me. Yeah. So that's a good question. You know, which form am I working with at any point in time? Yeah. And then, and then it's interesting too, to extrapolate that to like our own life and what we may be going through and that it may not, of course, it may not be aligned with the, with the seasons of the year and the sun, but that we can, we can find some parallels to where we are on our journey. You know, are we, are we blooming? Are we germinating? Um, yeah. So much, just like watching the moon cycles and everything. Yeah. Are we yeah, are we in an elder phase? Are we in a resting phase? Um, at home, I find I find in the forest at home that, like in the middle of the summer, you know, in the, in the spring, everything's lots of new life, and in the fall, everything's getting ready to make more seeds and and go back to the dirt. But in the middle of the summer, there's like this pause that I've been 
used to realize. I can feel it distinctly when I go into the forest in the middle of the sun. It's just like, oh, I'm just resting here in all our greenness. <laughs> there's less flowers. And then we're just kind of in between. We're just waiting. So there's all these waiting faces, I think. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's flowers. Some of my favorite flowers are um, spring wildflowers that come up before the trees leaf out, and then they're they're gone. Literally, the leaves are gone and everything by the time the leaves come, come out on the trees. They're very short-lived, and so they live over nine months of their life under the ground and uh, just come out for really short times. They're all so different. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, when I walk around either my yard or in the woods or wherever uh, plants are, it's like, what's catching my attention today is one of my first questions. And it's always different. And that's a good place to start too. It's just what's catching your attention, which, which flower, which, who, who, who is the better question? Who's catching my attention? Yeah, plants are certainly a who and a they um, than they are an it or a what. Um, they'll do, they'll let you know. Uh, when I was choosing the flowers for my flower card deck, I didn't choose them. They chose me it, and it was in this way. It's like, me, 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 <laughs> over here. <laughs> yeah. And so that's going to be different for everybody too. Um, and I think when you need a particular message or a particular medicine, and I'm saying that in the terms of message type medicine, because um, I, I don't present myself as an herbalist. Um, but when you need a particular message, that's the one that's speaking, that's going to catch your attention and sitting with it. And, and you know, part of uh, sitting with a flower for me is part of it is just looking at how it's growing. You know, uh, is it tall and straight? Is it all kind of lanky and willy wonky? Is it is it strong? Is it prickly? Is it soft? Is it furry? Is it what color is it? What's the flower like? You know, just all these physical characteristics are part of its message. And then um, just sitting with it and see what, sitting with them and seeing what images, memories, feelings, and then after, you know, especially what feelings, you know, what. What, do you, what emotions come up while you're sitting there? And then uh, if you're really going to do a deep dive, then then sit and write. What does this flower sing, have to say to me today? What message does it have for me? What do they want me to know? And, you know, you live in this beautiful part of West Virginia with woods. and But my guess is that if you're open to it and if you connect to wherever you are, you will find what you need. Yeah. It could be in the crack in your driveway. It could be in a desert. There, there are plants and flowers everywhere, as we know. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's really comforting. Um, well, Mary, it's been such a joy talking to you. Um, I love So you have the flowers are speaking on Substack right now. Your Oracle deck is sold out. I would love, I, I can't wait to get my hands on that when it's available again. And you have a book in process. Yes. Um, but your Substack is a beautiful way. I feel like someone can begin to get to know your work and um, someone who resonates with 
your ideas and, you know, because I think that there are some people who are really going to, who flowers really speak to other people. It might be trees, other people, it might be rocks. (laughs) Um, Once we get over how, how much we have forgotten that we are in communication with all of these, you know, um, with all of these sentient beings. Um, And we remember, uh, but for those who are really aligned with um, the flower world, I think your substack would be a beautiful, it's a very comforting, the way that you weave um, emotion and just teach about flowers is really beautiful there. So I'll definitely link that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Avin. It means a lot to me for people to read my work. It's very you know, encouraging and and that's how I found out what, what people like too. And I love comments. And so I just love it when people follow my writing. Thank you. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world and for championing the flowers in a different way, you know, in a new and maybe in an old way, we could say. Yeah. yeah. In Deeper. a more different way. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate it, Mary. Thank you for having me here, Avine. It's been quite a pleasure. Really enjoyed talking with you. You too.